0: Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support
1: these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org.
0: Okay, welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we are with Running Light Ministries, and we have a wonderful time going over these podcasts or doing them for you guys. This is episode, actually, 61. Man, we've been rocking. So (laughs) this one, we are talking about divorce. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, and we have done podcasts before where we've asked the question, like, can you actually divorce for pornography use? Mm. Remember we did that podcast a while back? I do. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's, that's kind of always one we want to revisit, you know, because our podcasts talk about sexual issues and uh, how it relates to the Bible, uh, current culture and stuff like that. And divorce is a big one. So, our main passage is in the book of Matthew. So, why don't you read it? So, Matthew 19. uh, Once again, the whole
1: topic of the discussion that we've been going over with Jesus and the Pharisees has been about divorce. They asked him, can a man just divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus' answer in verse 4 is, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore God joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? He said, Moses, because the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, carry, uh, marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries uh, her who is divorced commits adultery. And his disciples said to
0: him, If such is the case with the man and his wife, it is better not to marry. Whoa. <laughs> okay. You know what's interesting is that we're reading from the book of Matthew. Hmm. And I think the first thing I want to say is that and I was thinking about this last night. It's like, if you, well, like, what books of the Bible um, mention divorce and what books of the Bible mention remarriage? Mm. And I was kind of, like, (laughs) thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, because I was thinking, like, what if you only had, like, in Jesus' day, you just had the Old Testament? So if we just, like, and, and I know this might be going a different way you want to go. <laughs> and believe me, you can override me. That's no, um, good, man. Um, but I was thinking, what if we just had the Old Testament like Jesus? You know, so Jesus is just going off the Old Testament. So yeah. if we just had the book of Matthew, right, and, and the Old Testament, okay. Like, now let's get into... You know what probably you want to talk about with Jesus and what he's saying, <laughs> but because he, he just had the Old Testament,
1: right? So and, and that's always an important thing to remember When you're reading the New Testament is because really when you're reading Paul when you're reading Peter James John All these dudes were doing was they were just taking the teachings of Christ and they were interpreting the Old Testament through them So they're not writing anything new uh, and a lot of people don't get that when they talk about the reliability of the New Testament and stuff like that. When you're reading the letters, they're not writing anything new.
0: That's why there's, there's like, so
1: many quotes. That's right. They're just taking the Old Testament, and then they're taking the sayings of Christ, and they're putting them together. That's all they're doing. And uh, it, that's what makes it so cool is because they're giving us, if you want to put it this way, they're giving us an inspired understanding Of the teachings of Christ in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's good. But if all you had was the teachings of Christ in the Old Testament, you could get everything that they say in the New Testament. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be missing anything that they're saying. If you, if you had the Gospels and the Old, if you just had one Gospel and the Old Testament, you could get everything that's written in the New Testament minus the Book of Revelation from just that, Uh, which I think is pretty neat and pretty awesome for our faith. You know, like Christianity is nothing new. That's what they say over and over again in the book of Acts when people were accusing them of that. They said, we're not teaching anything new. We're just talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about the same guy This is what Joel
0: says. This is what Isaiah says.
1: This is what these guys say. That's right. So when you're going through, when Jesus is talking about it, he's talking to the Pharisees. And he does this over and over again in his communications with them. Where they want to always talk about the law. And Jesus' whole point is, like, you can't really understand the law until you understand the original intent. Mm. Because you have to understand that the law was given after the fall. And Jesus' whole point is, like, okay, look, the law is not a good thing in this sense. You don't give laws to people who are good. You give laws to people who are bad, mm. Right if I have to go in and let's say, you know, I'm a dad and I have kids. If I have to specifically set up a law in my household that says you can't kill your little sister, right? And I have to make that a law. I'd say, son, you can't do that. If I have to expressly say that to my son, that means that there's a possibility that he can do that. And I'm trying to set up a boundary for him. That That doesn't reveal a goodness in my son. That reveals a wickedness in my son that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to tame. And that's Jesus' whole point. He's like the whole law, it wasn't given because mankind was so good. He says the law was given because mankind was so wicked. Because of transgressions. Because of transgressions that God had to, he had to put a harness on the desires of man, lest we go out of control and we use our desires to hurt people, which is what we end up doing. And so Jesus says, don't, don't go to the law because the law actually is a reflection of how wicked you are. He says, go to the original intent. And when you go to the original intent of God before the law, there was actually no law. Meaning God never looked at Adam and said, Adam, you could not Eve, sin. right? <laughs> yeah, Thou <laughs> shalt not sin. He's like, oh, dude, Adam, if it doesn't work out with Eve, don't worry about it. You know, just divorce her, you know? And here's the laws of divorce. He never gave Adam that law. Uh, he never gave Adam a law of like how to treat his wife. He never gave Eve a law of how to treat her husband. The reason why they didn't need a law is because they were perfect. Perfect people don't need laws. Perfect people will naturally do the right thing. Evil people need laws. So when the Pharisees are asking him this question, he says, your premise is false to begin with. He says, you need to go back to if we're going to talk about what God really is pleased by. Let's talk about what God is really pleased by. And what does he say? The two shall become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's what pleases God. When God joins two people together, separation never pleases him.
0: Let me ask you a question. Let me challenge you on something. If they were perfect, then why, how could they sin?
1: Yeah, so when you go into the Old Testament, when you go into Genesis 1 through 2, which is where mankind is perfect— Basically, what you have is you have two people who are absolutely perfect and their perfection hinged on one central thing, their absolute trust in God. Adam and Eve absolutely trusted God to such an extent that, first of all, they were perfect in beauty because they trusted that when God said you are good, they believed him. Secondly, they were perfect in morality because when God said this is what you should do, they believed him. They never questioned it their fall wasn't what a lot of people think, meaning the, the fall of mankind, the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't like that in itself was a sin. What it was is that in itself was a foundation from which sin comes. Eating that tree was just a symbol of humanity saying, we don't trust God anymore. Right? We don't really trust God. When God says, you shouldn't do this, we don't really know if he's telling them the truth. Um, There was that doubt that was placed in them. There was a doubt by the serpent there was a doubt and that's that's the whole point Is that like the reason why that was the first sin? The reason why that was the original sin as we call it is because they were perfect if they were imperfect Then Satan would have tempted them with an actual sin. He would have said hey Adam Why don't you beat your wife or hey Eve? Why don't you disrespect your husband or hey? You know he would have given them something like that, but Satan realized that in their perfection their perfection was based upon their absolute trust of God. And so all he had to do was plant doubt in their hearts about God and they would fall. And that's what he did, right? Did God really say that was the first thing they said to Eve, did God really say questioning the word of God. And then later on when he said, if you eat of the fruit, God knows that you'll be like him. And that's why he's keeping you from it. Thus casting doubt on the character of God. And that was the fall. So, um, the important thing that that why that matters to us is because of re all christians are doing is we're trying to get back to eden yeah we're trying to go back we're trying to go back to eden we're not trying to build something new we're just trying to go back to eden and what jesus is saying here is he's saying what god has joined together let not man separate meaning what is perfection based on absolute trust in god absolute trust in god that when god looks at my marriage he says it is good right? Don't separate what I've joined together. Don't believe what other people are saying around you. Believe only my word. And that's kind of the basis for which marriage is built upon, About upon a deep trust and understanding of God. So again, when when Jesus is talking about this, when he's debating the Pharisees, when he's getting to these really important issues, what we need to be thinking about is what are our basis or our premise for understanding marriage and divorce built on? The word of man or the word of God? And that really, I think, will define a whole lot for us. If I really think about it, I'd be like, do I understand divorce through the word of God? Meaning, is if, if I'm thinking about can I divorce my wife, am I thinking about what does God say about it? right? Does does God mention this? Does God talk about this? Uh, Is there some basis from which God speaks on that I can divorce my wife? And if we're honest with ourselves, the vast majority of us would say, no, my um, understanding of divorce has come through my culture, right? My understanding of marriage and divorce have come through my culture. I saw my parents get divorced. I've seen my friends get divorced. I know how their relationships worked out. And therefore, the basis for which I'm De, uh, debating about whether or not to stay married to my spouse is based upon these other examples in my life, these other people who are talking to me about divorce. It's not really based on what God says. Um, and when you're doing that, you're actually engaging in the same fallacy that the Pharisees are. You're trying to understand commandments of God without God, which will never work. Mm. Say that again. You're trying to. You're trying to understand the commandments of God without God. Mm. which can never work. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I shared this with Bo last week. There was a uh, woman named Ayn Rand who uh, she wrote a book in the 50s called Atlas Shrugged, very famous philosophical work. And da- uh, Mike Wallace interviewed her and he interviewed her on the aspect of love. And he talked to her about like how he's like, I mean, isn't it good that we just love our fellow man unconditionally? And she says, not only is that not good, she says, it's actually wicked to say that. And he's like trying to get her. He's like, what, what do you mean it's wicked? Like, how could you say that? Like, isn't it good to love your fellow man? And basically the, the point that she gets to, she says, the reason why it's wicked is because it's absolutely impossible to love someone just to love them. She says, all of us cannot do that. None of us, no human being can selflessly love another just for the sake of them. And the point that she's getting at is something that's really important to for us to understand. Trying to love and to follow the commandments of Jesus without Jesus is not only not good I would call it evil I would call it evil because you are trying to do what God only intended us to do with his power and his provision Um, And it's just it's not going to work You're not going to be able to do it Hmm. Being able to stay married to someone and to understand divorce without the foundation of Christ and your relationship with him Is not going to work out too well for you
0: Hmm, that's good stuff hey guys uh, on Facebook welcome this is the uh, better pleasure podcast with Peter and myself and we are talking about divorce today so um, it's kind of a premarital counseling postmarital counseling on divorce um, not uh, not the funnest topic in the <laughs> world but uh, we're kind of hitting through Jesus's main uh, talk on divorce in Matthew chapter 19 and um, we're kinda taking it from here and going mm. um, so so divorce um, you know how do you want to take this I mean what you know should we talk about the first divorce or when you know uh, where how do we see divorce in the Bible like in the Old Testament would what, um, uh, what we're talking about um, is that from the very beginning divorce was not even in the picture Divorce is a product of the sinful inclination of mankind.
1: Yeah, and so because of that I think the first thing we should talk about I think we should go into the first divorce that's mentioned in the Bible um, by God to his people but uh, The most important thing about this uh, is to understand that divorce is never pleasing in the sight of God There is no divorce that is pleasing in the sight of God. Divorce could be allowed in the sight of God but it's never something that God is going to praise. He's never gonna look at and be like, awesome.
0: Because it's not part of his initial uh, uh, creation and saying it's good. That's right. Just like in the Old Testament, you could look at like, okay, well, God allows
1: a lot of things in the old covenant, like in the law that are not good, but they are allowed because of the wickedness of man. For instance, capital punishment. In the law, it was okay to stone people or to execute them for particular sins not that death is ever something god looks at and says yes right on i love death you know god hates death he is opposed to it jesus came to defeat death so obviously god doesn't like death however god allows execution in order to prevent further death in the same way god does not like divorce but god allows divorce in order to prevent further pain Uh, there could be instances in which divorce is necessary to prevent damage to prevent further damage from happening and we'll Discuss that so do, do you want to go to the the first time? It's talked about
0: Well, I was thinking about the first time that I think of it being talked about and I think if when you look at the um, The Hebrew words it's kind of interesting because the word that is used even in the banishment of Adam and Eve in the garden is the same word for divorce elsewhere in the Old Testament Mm. I didn't really know that until I started reading actually our guest from last week (laughs) his book Craig Um, he wrote a book called One Man One Woman and um, I can actually have a copy right here I could show people Um, it's right there Um, and his name is Craig Stelflug and uh, but he actually gets into the Hebrew words and for banishment Hmm. And which is I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And how it, it's kind of the root words, I guess, are the same words used for divorce. Hmm. You know, so in a sense, God m- removing Adam and Eve from the, the, the garden, the paradise yeah. was in a sense a divorce, a yeah. separation, a ba- you know, yeah. a division.
1: Which makes sense because when you have the people of Israel, they en- enter into a marriage covenant with God. Obviously at the point that the marriage covenants given we're not married to God anymore. Yeah, and in the New Testament Jesus is the bridegroom to the bride which is the church. So once again, obviously the church wasn't married to God Before entering into his covenant. So yeah, Hmm. that that makes sense
0: Yeah, and the root of I think you put it right where the root of all divorce There is a missing of the mark what we mean by sin. There's something that's missing. We're not uh, It's a sin issue You know there's something going on that we're we're missing you know um you know i think of you know what's kind of crazy is a lot of people don't understand that god in the old testament has this relationship with the israel and just as he had an is a relationship with adam and eve Hmm. um that there is a a in a sense a divorce that takes place there too you know so so even in the Old Testament, God you know you know people will say well God hates divorce, but yet God in a sense divorced Israel. Yeah. And um and so, you know, how do you deal with that? Right. So
1: once again, I could say well God hates death, but God allows death. So, you know, when you look at God's divorce of his people, You could read about it in several of the Old Testament prophets. A lot of the Old Testament prophets talk about in very deep, intimate ways how God has loved Israel. And we've, during our times of talking about marriage, we've been quoting a lot of them. Yeah. And so when you get into the Old Testament prophets, there's moments where God actually says, I'm going to divorce my people. But you never see him say it in a blase kind of like, I'm going to do this and whatever. It's your fault. I'm out. It's always with the deepest amount of regret. There's so many passages in the Old Testament that I can go over that speak of God's incredible pain and sorrow over having to divorce his people. Uh, Saying things like in Jeremiah, I will make... I will make noises like a wounded donkey for you, you know, which is, which is pretty crazy. Pretty gnarly. Because if you've ever heard a donkey, they're not exactly the quietest of animals, you mm. know, and when you, when you wound one, they definitely make some pretty gnarly noises. So what God's saying is like, yeah, I'm divorcing you, but it's not my first option. It's not something that I want to do. It's not something that I enjoy doing. It's not, and it's not, by the way, ever in God's mind saying, I am done with you. Um, even his divorce, we're going to read a couple passages for you guys, but even in his divorce, there is a hope of reconciliation that God always has. So, um, that being said, we'll go over some of the reasons that God gives for divorcing his people. Um, did you want to start? Yeah,
0: well, I was thinking of Jeremiah three myself. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking that, um, it says, uh, in verse eight, I, I gave Faithless Israel her certificate of divorce Mm. and sent her away because of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her. She defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. And despite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all of her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel is... More righteous than unfaithful Judah. Go proclaim this message toward the north. So we, we see there that God actually gives a certificate of divorce to the northern tribes. And um, and then um, in, later on in verse 14, it actually becomes really clear. Return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Mm. Wow. So, um So there's the analogy, just really clear, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's right. That Israel is like a woman that has committed adultery. And her sister, which is the southern two tribes of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, they also have followed the same suit Mm -hmm. and gone down that direction. So, um... It's interesting because it says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away. Again, kind of like Adam and Eve, the banishing, the sending away, yeah. because of all of her adulteries. Um, so it, it's interesting, but the offended party is God, hmm. and God's the one who gives the certificate of divorce. But there's other Old Testament passages that let us know that it's really not God that's doing, that's initiating the divorce. And right. this is important. Right. Right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And uh, I, I can't remember the other one. I believe it's 31, chapter 31 of Jeremiah. I'm not positive um, about it. Yep, you got it. Yeah, so in, in Jeremiah 31, basically what he says, and he, he, he's getting at it in Jeremiah 3, but he just really makes it clear that all god is doing when he's giving them a certificate of divorce is he's just affirming what they've already done meaning when you enter into a business contract with someone if i entered into a business contract with Bo, there's going to be terms of the agreement and when i violate if i violate terms of those agreement i've broken the agreement that Bo doesn't have to write me something and say you broke the agreement this is a paper that says you broke the agreement if i break it i break it it's done it's void It's null. Marriage works the same way. When you enter into a covenant with someone, when you enter into a marriage contract with someone, there are terms of that agreement. And when somebody breaks them physically, it doesn't take a piece of paper to say that you've broken them. They're broken. It's done. The damage is done. Now you can do a choice of, and we'll talk about this more later. I can make a new covenant with you. I get, if, you've, if you break the business contract with me, I can say, well, let's make a new one together. Let's sign a new one together. Let's make this work. Um, I could do that. I have the choice to do that. But if you break it, I have the decision to just walk away. And so when God says, I'm divorcing you, I'm giving you a certificate of divorce, what he's actually saying is, you've actually already broken the covenant. You've already broken it. All I'm doing is just writing you a piece of paper to explain what you've done. Um, so God actually is not doing anything in the sense of a positive action. It's not like Israel is married to God and they're perfectly in the covenant and everything's fine and God's saying, I'm breaking it. What happened is they already broke it and he just affirms their decision. Much the same way of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had already violated the covenant of God. All God did is just allow the natural consequences of that violation to happen in their lives. He says, okay, you don't want to trust me anymore. You don't want to have a relationship with me you don't have to, right? And he sends them out of the car, the garden, um, and that's really, really important to understand when we're talking about divorce. Because especially of, in today's world, especially in today's world, where a lot of people, men and women in the church, feel like it is never okay to write the papers of divorce. It's never okay to do that that it has to be like the other person has to do it. The other person has to write the papers because um, the person who writes the papers is the sinner. Uh, that's not true. The person who breaks the covenant is the person who divorces. Um, which means that if you have a spouse that's broken the marriage covenant, you are okay to write a paper that just affirms what they've already
0: done. Okay, and that, that is a big important point and even though it, this is doesn't just always go for women because men are on these issues, too Yeah, and this isn't a gender issue at all when it comes to divorce both genders are affected, right. but it is important a- And I could could say that um, most of my ministry life. Um, I've talked to women about this. It seems like predominantly Because there's always uh, it seems like predominantly and this is a stereotype um But usually there's a man who's maybe doing something wrong Mm. committing adultery and the woman goes well I don't want a divorce because it's wrong Mm. And and it's tough because there's already been a a breaking of the covenant And and so she feels guilty like you say she doesn't want to go down to the court She doesn't want to go get the paperwork done because that's she thinks she's initiating the divorce where that's not true she's not initiating the divorce what she's doing is just writing a certificate of divorce like in Jeremiah 3 yeah she's just saying you guys did this you you want to go do your thing and you don't want to be in the marriage well I'm just gonna give you your certificate of divorce right meaning I'm just this is gonna be the the um, the the legal work for what you're doing right you know you know that kind of thing um, So it's really important for us to understand at this point, what is the breaking of the covenant? Mm. Now, spiritually speaking, in the Old Testament, because that's what we're focusing on on right now, is that what I see, and you can chime in, is that the allegory is always dealing with adultery Mm. in some pretty heinous... (laughs) Right. Yeah. Sexual Graphics. ways. Yeah. yeah. Graphic. Graphic. Graphic language. sexual language. Yeah. Right. Especially
1: in Ezekiel. Yeah.
0: Right. So it's it's leaving God, the worship of the true and living God, and it's going um, and worshiping other gods. Right. It's setting up wood. Uh, Jeremiah three talked about wood or uh, other other material, meaning they were carving. Making merchandise of and creating other gods Mm. Um, Even in the temples they were um, Exchanging the worship of Yahweh with the worship of other gods, right? They were using uh, names interchangeably Mm. Um, So there was other deities that had certain names maybe like Bell or 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 things like that ancient gods Um, And um, and they would exchange those those terms, Mm -hmm. you know, so when we attribute something to uh, another God that only should be attributed to Yahweh Mm -hmm. um, Those were seen as an offense to God, right? So can you think of other things or am I missing something? No, I think you nailed them and one thing I just want to just use that
1: to explain We've already talked about this before, but one of the central reasons of why God has set up marriage is because we're imperfect and because in order to have a loving relationship with vulnerability and transparency and all the beautiful things that, want, that we want to have in a romantic relationship with somebody, you got to have security. You have to have security. And that's what that covenant does is it builds a foundation of security where the person says, I'm entering into a legal contract with you that if I violate, there are legal consequences. If I do this, covenants like that are only as secure as the person who makes them. Meaning if I make a covenant with someone and I'm a known liar, I'm someone who violates covenants all the time. I don't, my word means nothing. It's garbage. Me making a contract with you will mean nothing, right? With God, the cool thing about it, and this is really important, is Bo said it, these people were doing heinous acts, It's not like this was like weird things where the people of Israel were totally taken off guard and they're like, what? Like, what did we do? And God's like, well, that one time, you know, you thought about uh, money more than me, you know, so divorce, you know, it was, it wasn't like that. It was like the people were actually building other gods. They were worshiping them. They were bringing false deities into the temple of God and they were having orgies in the temple of God. Like they were doing incredibly heinous things before God, it wasn't like tiny little things that God's like, well, you know, in your, in your heart, you haven't put me first, so divorce. Um, and that's important too, because when we're talking about marriage, the reason why we're we're putting this out there as why God has divorced his people and why, why should divorce happen, why ought divorce to happen inside of a marriage, what does violate the covenant, is a lot of times when we're unhappy in marriage, we could look for little things that we could say, you violated the covenant, right? You know, you haven't put me first. You haven't treated me the way that God treats me. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. It's like, yeah, you could say that, but that's not a violation of the covenant. You know, God sees it that way where it's like, there has to be a genuine violation of the covenant. There has to be something that's happening, you know, physical, real, something that has actual consequences, something like that. Not like well, you know, you, you looked at me funny, or, you know, you, you said this, and it really hurt my feelings, and you didn't really, you know, you, didn't, you never said sorry. You know, that's not a violation of the covenant. Uh, those are things that need to be worked on within the covenant, but they're not things that violate the covenant, mm. and, and God sees it that way too.
0: Yeah, so it, it brings us to another section of the Bible, uh, and that's the book of Malachi, mm. which is a big one, because this is the famous one of God hates divorce, right, right? Yeah. section. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I bring it up is because it talks about sex in um, our, our divorce being um, something of violence. Right. And, um, and I kind of... Uh, the reason why I said sex is because I grew up listening to Jane's Addiction. And Jane's Addiction had a song uh, that talked about sex is violence, and so my brain tends to go there. <laughs> when I think, of, you know, this, this passage, I tend to equate it with what I heard in, that, in some of the music that I grew up listening to. Um, but this is in chapter 2. Um, it says, Have we not all one Father, in verse 10, did, we, did not one God create us? And the answer is Yes. And it says, why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? So in the NIV, it says, uses this term breaking faith, Hmm. which I like the, the King James says, um, dealing treacherously with with, to deal treacherously, which I, that's kind of hard to, I don't know what exactly (laughs) that means. Yeah. It's pretty vague statement. (laughs) Yeah. vague. (laughs) deal treacherously. It sounds crazy though, but this says breaking faith with one another. So, uh, you know, breaking the covenant, some people would say like, oh, well, breaking the covenant is just divorce or just um, adultery. Right. Um, but when when this term idea of breaking faith comes in, it really brings us to another level of maybe where divorce could be permitted in the Old Testament. Right. Because this idea of, um, you know, doing something not in a faithful way. Right. You know. So it talks about, um, let me get to the section. It says, why are you going to be judged? It says, why, why? It is because the Lord, in verse 14, is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Hmm. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. And do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence, hmm. as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. Interesting. I hate divorce, says the Lord God. That, that's really a piggyback on the idea of what they're doing in breaking faith with God. And that God sees the tearing apart, right? And and then what does this mean? Where it <laughs> says, "I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment," says mm-hmm. the Lord Almighty. What do you what do you think about that? It's kind of interesting. So there's this really interesting thing in the Bible
1: where clothing is seen as a picture of righteousness um, in the Old Testament. It says we were naked and unashamed. But the second that we broke faith with God and violated the covenant, we built our own covering. So it wasn't necessarily that Adam and Eve were literally naked. They may have had a covering, but that covering came from God. We had no covering of our own. That's what that meant. Um, After we violated the covenant, we immediately tried to build our own clothing from fig leaves. And then later on in the Bible, you have examples like, um, for instance, in Zechariah. Zechariah stand, I mean, Joshua stands before God, and it says he was clothed in filthy garments. Uh, and then God gives him clean garments. And then even in the New Testament, in Revelation 19, it says the church, the bride of Christ, will receive fresh garments from God. So garments, clothing in the Old Testament and in the New, becomes almost like a metaphor. A no, type of A type of righteousness before God so when he's saying that they're clothing themselves with violence as with um, as like a garment in this passage what it's saying is is that like my actions have become kind of my own righteousness before God in essence where I'm clothing myself with a violence on me so what does that really mean? Well, I I believe, you know, there's a lot of debate about what it means specifically because it is kind of a vague section. But what I personally believe about it when I read it, I see somebody like a husband or a spouse in general acting in violent ways with their with their spouse, and that violence becomes a covering, meaning it becomes their righteousness before God. It becomes like this filthy rag that they're putting on themselves that they're knitting themselves. Of their own evil actions and God's looking at it previously in that same section that Bo's reading uh, God talks about how he's weeping over his altar uh, because of what these men are doing to their wives so we don't really know specifically what these men were doing um, but whatever it was it was incredibly offensive to God Uh, we don't have any instances in Malachi 2 where he mentions a adulterous type of a violence so were they beating their wives? Were they sexually abusing their wives? Were they hitting other people? We don't really know. Uh, again, that, that word breaking faith is kind of a vague one. We don't really know exactly what it was. But again, I, I personally take it as a, as a type of a violence that could exist inside of a marriage that would break the covenant. Um,
0: yeah. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? i just I just think it's fascinating because it's like that idea of with violence i you know it's like you don't really think of divorce in conservative circles in Christianity as a way out of marriage right though this this might be one of those passages that when we look at it, we go, Wow, you know a meaning a breaking faith is taking place when someone is violent within the marriage mm. that is a breaking of the vow right and and so god sees like a spiritual tearing away that's happening in that covenant it says between you know the wife of your youth and yourself mm. You know, and, and that's huge, man. I mean, that's big. That the implications of that are just radical. Yeah. Because how many marriages have violence in them? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm you know I don't know. I'm gonna look up online real quick. Almost twenty percent of all marriages, uh, couples slap, shove, hit, or otherwise assault each other. And and I wonder how much like sexual violence is, you know, there, Mm. you know, how many men have used sexual violence in, and I think what we mean is like a lot of, a lot of stuff that we view in today's pornography, there's a lot of sexual violence in it, Mm. you know, where there's a lot of just very aggressive behavior where you just don't know when you're watching this, if these people are into this mm. or if they're not into it. Right. You know, there's always that Fifty Shades of Grey folk that are just like, dude, we're into this kind of thing. And, <laughs> you know, we love it. And, you know, that kind of thing. But let's face it, when you're when you're on the Internet and things are just, you know, you're seeing these videos or these pictures, we have no clue if these actual people doing this and are, are, are into this or not it could very well be that they're not into it at all. Right. You know, so we see that there's a lot of sexuality that can be really taken as some some violent action. Right. You know, and a lot of sexual stuff we see in today's porn just doesn't seem that normal in sex, meaning it's just, you know, I would never get with my wife and, and do these things. I mean, it just seems really aggressive. Right. You know? Right. And so some people would take their even their lust uh for selfish gratification that they maybe maybe have received from their education in pornography mm. and they might bring that into the marriage bed. Right. Could that be an act of violence?
1: Mm. Love, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. And you know, so it's it's uh it's really sad when you read stats like that and you realize the reality of the world, the reality of what's going on in our culture and the reality of what happens in marriages. And it's really important because once again, when you're talking about covenants, when you're talking about contracts, a contract that absolutely cannot be broken would be a contract that could lead to a lot of abuse. You know, could you imagine entering, could any of you people who are business inclined Imagine entering into a business contract with someone where there was no way out The amount of uh, someone could take just unbelievable amounts of advantage of you if you did that And so God when he that's what Jesus is saying when he says it wasn't so but because of the hardness of your hearts I allowed it and that's what's happening here where it's like uh, like Bo said, you know not a lot of people think of it this way, but could it be that divorce was also allowed as a type of protection for women or men that they're in a situation where it's like if I don't divorce you your violent behavior is going to end up hurting me hurting my kids whatever I need to well,
0: yeah and that's an important that's such an important point because again what you're you're kind of moving the paradigm right where if someone's going to the court and getting a, a divorce paper a lot of times we think that's the divorce right where what we're seeing biblically is that's not the divorce right So even in Malachi, when it says, I hate divorce, a lot of times people will use that passage and they'll go, oh, you know, God hates divorce, so don't divorce. No, that's not what the passage is saying. (laughs) The passage is saying, I hate divorce because you've already divorced. Right. You know, Um, so it's like, you know, when you, God's not saying, you know, I hate divorce, therefore I'm not going to divorce you. Right. You know, that's not what this is saying. This is saying, I hate divorce of what you're doing to me. Right. And so think of it like a couple where a guy is getting beat down by his wife. His wife is an alcoholic. She's blazing violent. She has been for years. It's gone out of control. Mm. Where she, all she does is knock him smack him beat him hit him all the time you know you know when he says if the man stands up and says i hate divorce hmm. what he's what he's acknowledging is the divorce of the wife from the marital covenant right he's not saying I'm not gonna go down and get the certificate of divorce and give you the divorce. Hmm. What he's just—he's saying I hate divorce, meaning I hate what you're doing because yeah. you're divorcing me. That's what you're doing. Right. So, in a sense, I think we look at Malachi wrong. Right. When people say in the church, like, "Hey, God hates divorce. I'm not gonna go divorce." Hmm. I, I think they're misreading un- that passage. Right. Right. And the unfortunate
1: thing that needs to be talked about, like there's two aspects of this. So there's people who fall into the category who read Malachi 2 and say, God hates divorce, therefore I can never divorce. Even if my husband is beating me, even if he's cheating on me, I got to stay with him. I have to stay married to him. You know, he's out living with some other girl in another house, but I got to stay married to him. I got to be faithful to the covenant. And it's like, well, no, you need to maybe read that in this area of like, he's already divorced you, right? God hates what he did. He already did it, you know? Um, But then the other way that you could fall on this is people look at Matthew 19. They're like, oh, Jesus says that there is a clause. There's a way to get out of marriage. And so these kind of people don't want to stay married. So they're looking for every little thing to say, like, oh, my gosh, like I could divorce you biblically. I could divorce you. No guilt. You know, Uh, Malachi 2 says that you cover your cover yourself with violence like a garment. I remember that one time two years ago, you yelled at me, therefore violence, you know, and. Yeah, the other week you admitted to viewing porn, sexual immorality, adultery, bam, I could divorce you. No muss, no fuss, right? There's no reason to stay married. Uh, once again, you're, you're totally missing the point because when God is divorcing his people, that is the last thing he wants to do. But what he's saying is you've already done it. So therefore, I will allow you to do this. It wasn't something that he was happy about. It wasn't something he was looking for reasons to do it. He was it was just like it's happening you guys have already done it, therefore
0: I will allow it, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah, God's not going. You know, just I mean, think of it this way: God could divorce everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, and and in you know, in that sense of like you know, yeah. where you know, He sees all of our flaws mm. and just how wretched we are, and 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 missing the mark of a perfect God. Mm. And if that's your attitude. In your marriage where you're just like I'm just not happy in this and you know I'm just gonna look for an opportunity I'm gonna look for something a way out and you're fishing for ways out of this relationship so you're gonna latch a hold of something oh he's watched pornography Um, he self gratified himself Mm -hmm. Um, you know hey that's 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 one I could use in the church because you know those church people they they certainly don't like to talk about masturbation and they certainly don't want to talk about pornography or sex. I mean, that's like, oh, <gasps> that's the asterisk thing. You know what I mean? That's the crazy thing. So if I bring that up, you know, everybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, that's bad, bad. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's that's it. And then, hey, maybe I could get out of that. That's not the attitude you're saying of God at all. No. You know, God's always looking to restore and to bring back and to re- You know to forgive and his mercies are new every morning great is his faithfulness I mean beautiful Old Testament passages you know where God is always there forgiving and his mercies are to thousands upon thousands it says Mm. so God is there all the time you know having mercy but there is a time where people's hearts have gotten so hard in the nation Mm. where they are doing They literally have gone away right and I think as human beings you know if we really get honest with ourselves uh, we have a little honest assessment we really know the difference right 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 between our spouse who's who struggles with with sinful inclinations Hmm. you know I mean do you know your spouse's sinful inclinations do you know what they struggle with I mean if you're honest you're going to go sure I I do. Hmm. And and or their their absolute rebellion from your the covenant of marriage, right? You know, is that wife who struggles with pornography, is she really really is she really not for you in the marriage hmm. or is she just struggling in an area of her life? With the technology of our world and things that are accessible to her right and is there just something in her heart that has lured her that way right you know Um, you know and sometimes the answer is gonna be can you guys talk about it Mm. you know is it is there honesty within the marriage right you know because if there's not if everything's just hidden you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, I don't, you know, well, I don't, you know, or, or, or there's honesty. And then there's like just uh, who cares and indifference. Right. Like, I don't care. You know, and I would think maybe the divorce, how you know divorce is happening is probably more the indifference. Right. Right. It's probably not so much the hiding it, but I'm sure it's more the indifference to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with you uh, because, you know, pretending like something
1: hasn't happened was exactly what Israel was doing where they were pretending to God like, oh, you know, we're not doing nothing. You know, there's nothing wrong. And you see this happening over and over in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is like, you guys have violated the covenant. You've done this. You've done that. They're like, well, we got the temple of the Lord. How could you say we violated the covenant? You know, we're doing the right thing. And right. they they were debating him. And I think that that's, that indifference is exactly what you see inside of a marriage that's already gone sideways, where, you know, a husband or a wife has cheated on her husband multiple times. And she's like, you know, when will you get over it, you know, just get over it or, you know, like, yeah, I did that, but whatever, you know, and you've done wrong things, too. And yeah. You know,
0: and you don't you're a jerk. And yeah. And you're so a jerk. I just and, go do it.
1: And you didn't even you didn't pay attention to me. And so, yeah, I cheated. But whatever, you know, like that, that indifference is, I think, what does exemplify it in the book of Hosea. God says over and over again, he calls the adulteries that they're committing against him. He calls them casual. Uh, where it's not like they're committing them and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And they're coming back to God and they're like, forgive me, uh, what do I need to do to make this up? You know, how could I change? How could I? There was none of that. There was just like, yeah, I did it, but whatever, you know, we, we all make mistakes. And and I think that casualness is definitely, a, uh, or the indifference is definitely a huge sign of the divorce happening for sure.
0: Mm, yeah important so we're gonna end the podcast on that note we've talked about the Old Testament we brought up some passages that I'll just reiterate for you guys if you want to check them out Um, Isaiah chapter 50 verse 1 we didn't actually read it but you guys could check it out Jeremiah 3 8 we read that Jeremiah 31 31 through 32 and look up Hosea chapter 2 16 through 23 um, you'll see something with uh, what God does with the people um, there. And uh, you might want to check out Ezra, chapter 10, 3 through 5, too. Very interesting passage. So uh, we, next week we'll talk more about divorce as to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And not only what, what divorce looks like in the New Testament, and what divorce might replace in the Old Testament, or replacing something in the Old Testament. But then also about remarriage, too. And what what does the Bible say about remarriage? So it should be interesting. So thanks for listening to the Better Pleasure Podcast. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks a lot for checking us out, okay? Take care. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.